Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello. Welcome to Jules Says. I'm Jules, Julie, grandmother, mom. All opinions and perspectives in this podcast are mine and mine alone, since this podcast is produced by me, written by me, recorded by me, edited by me. It's just me. Last week, I announced the long-anticipated, well, anticipated by me anyway, release of my Christmas album and the journey of making that happen. It was only released one year late, and I've heard from a few people who've asked me to name the pianist who ended up ghosting me. You know, they want to protect other people from hiring her. Well, she doesn't advertise her services as a pianist. I kind of stumbled upon the knowledge that she was able to do this, and she offered. So, there's that. But I would like to explain why I don't ever plan to name her. First of all, ghosting is not a her problem. It seems to me that it's a pretty common issue generally. I've read more than one article about people who ghost job interviews, ghost the actual job after they've been hired, or even just stop showing up to work without actually resigning, or not showing up but not calling in sick, just not showing up. Like, that's happened with people Abe has worked with. It's weird. So my hope is, first and foremost, that if you are listening to this and you happen to be a ghoster, Woman up, grow a vulva, and learn to communicate like an adult. It's way worse to just disappear. Way worse. The other thing that's important, I think, is being clear on expectations versus reality. I've learned over the years that frustration or even anger are less about what actually happened than about the delta between what happened versus what you expected to happen. I expected my pianist to deliver completed piano tracks by early October for the price she quoted because she told me she could do it by then. At some point, she must have realized she couldn't deliver by then, but she was afraid to realign my expectations. And when she finally did respond, she gave me new, probably also unattainable expectations. Maybe the expectation was unrealistic, 
but it would have been better if she had just let me know. So it's important to communicate if something changes. Make sure you're on the same page when it comes to expectations. But people are often afraid to have the conversation, so they just avoid it. This is true with personal relationships too, not just work. If my husband says he'll be home for dinner and he's going to bring us a nice takeaway, but then staggers in the door at midnight incoherently drunk, naturally, I feel a bit disappointed. I've spent the evening simmering with ever-increasing anxiety. What happened? Where is he? Why is he doing this? Doesn't he respect me enough to do what he says he's going to do? On the other hand, If he says he's going out with his friends and won't be home until late, I just happily do my thing for the evening because I wasn't set up to expect anything different. Being annoyed is about the mismatch between expectation and reality. So please, revise the expectation. We all understand that things change. Just don't ghost. The other reason I don't want to name her is because I hope she's learned, or at least I hope this isn't how she operates all the time. There's no point in naming a person because that would be like playing whack-a-mole. She doesn't have a monopoly on ghosting. So rather than singling her out, I prefer to accept the lessons learned myself, which is do not pay someone up front. And if their price seems too good to be true, you need to question it. I'm constantly learning. Paying a deposit for services is fair because it's really hard for independent small businesses to collect their receivables. I paid $1,000 to a photographer a long time ago for a wedding that was cancelled. I really liked this photographer's work, and he came highly recommended. It seems to me, though, and I could be remembering this wrong, sometimes if you don't read a contract carefully, you make assumptions, which isn't a good idea. But it seemed to me that the contract stipulated not that the deposit was non-refundable, regardless of any scenario, but that the deposit would be forfeited if you canceled and if he was unable to book another engagement for that canceled date. That was my understanding at the time, but it could have been wishful thinking on my part. I will give him that. And I booked him because I really loved his work. It was it was it it was creative and fun. And I booked him pretty far in advance because I knew he was in high demand. Or I was at least led to believe that he was in high demand. Then the wedding was canceled, something like, I don't know, seven or eight months before the date. I let him know right away in writing, and I thought, since he was in such great demand, that he would have no problem rebooking a June wedding shoot, or something else for that matter. He doesn't just do weddings. I think a lot of photographers do weddings just to pay the bills. And for all I know, he was able to book another shoot. But there was no mention of returning my deposit. I didn't think too much about it, at least not for a couple of months, because I figured he might not get a new booking that week, but then I got an email from him suggesting that next time all my daughters were in town, we should do a mother-daughter photo shoot. Now, it is a long shot for all three of my daughters to be in Toronto at any given time, but I thought, okay, well, I probably don't want to be in those pictures, but I would love some pics of the girls together. Wow, thank you for the thought. Then I asked him, and this was all over email, so you don't get tone. How much and would the wedding deposit I gave him go toward the booking fee? Well, he kind of 
blasted me with his response. Like, he actually lectured me in this long-winded email saying, that deposit was for the wedding, canceling the wedding has nothing to do with any other shoot, and went on and on about the reason photographers need a deposit. And I felt like such an idiot. I completely understand why you need a non-refundable deposit. I get it. You're self-employed. You reserve that date and you turn down other work so you can do that date. You need some insurance. If the wedding is canceled and you can't rebook, of course the guy needs some compensation for the day. I didn't expect the deposit back, but I hoped that he was in enough demand that he would be able to book another gig, which I'm sure he actually did. And I thought that he would, in good faith, give me a credit, or even a partial credit, something if he managed to rebook. And when I got this email from him offering to do the photo shoot, I honestly thought that he intended that to be in lieu of refunding the deposit. After all, he approached me with the idea. So I felt really quite embarrassed that he thought I didn't understand the concept of a deposit. And then I felt annoyed that he had no intention of giving me a credit, even if he rebooked that date. Let's say we booked a photo shoot for the date of the wedding cancellation. Couldn't he apply the deposit toward that? I mean, I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. He didn't have to send me a long-winded lecture about it. So I let him know that my question wasn't an expectation. I just asked because he offered the idea. Of course, the photo shoot never happened, and that was many years ago. He was obviously annoyed with me because he interpreted my question as an unreasonable expectation. And I doubt the girls would do it anyway. Catherine, believe it or not, started avoiding being in any pictures when she was maybe around seven, unless she was dressed up as a funny character, like Purple Ann or... Yeah, she had a lot of characters. There was a whole cast of characters. I used to take the children to those department store photographers occasionally because it's not something my mother ever did with us. And I just think those family pics growing up are so nice to have. And it goes without saying, we didn't all have high-resolution cameras in our purses back then. So the photographs were a big deal. At some point, though... I even gave up on that because they just didn't want to do it. I feel like that was a mistake. In retrospect, I probably should have tried to make them do it or bribed them to do it. But oh well, hindsight is twenty twenty, And there will probably never be another day when I have the pleasure of my girls' company together. They've been together a couple of times, but I was never able to be there for one reason or another. I think there were a couple of days around Christmas 2019 that they were all here. Catherine recently asked me for some pictures of us together, her and me, and there are almost none from the time she was a very small child, which is partly my own fault. I usually took the pictures, and I was always reluctant to be in photos myself. My mother warned me I would regret that, and my mother was right. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I think it's fair to say these days that most of us are collectively grieving to some extent over the current world events. I know I am, and, and I say very little for fear of saying the wrong thing, for being misinterpreted. But so many people say that silence is akin to complicity. But the thing is, I'm in charge of nothing. I'm a decision maker for no one. And what I cannot understand, well, there are a lot of things about massacre and torture and hatred I can't fathom. But one of the things I cannot understand is how so many people are targeting groups of people with hatred over the acts of governments on another continent or even just another country. The, the escalation of anti-Semitism is unfathomable to me. I thought humankind had evolved beyond that. We just recognized Remembrance Day in Canada and probably some other countries to commemorate the people who lost their lives in war so that we could live in peace. Lest we forget is supposed to remind us that war is not worth the steep price that humanity pays. Yet here we are. And here we were, even before October 7th, before the Ukraine war. There's constant war somewhere in the world. Genocide, anti-Semitism, racism, mass shootings, Islamophobia. So many phobias about people who just want to live their lives in peace and in ways that don't hurt or affect anyone else. Lest we forget. How could we forget when it never ends? I certainly don't have any answers. Hatred and violence are so hard to believe because it's unbelievable. Yet, it's a reality. All I have is guilt because I live in a safe place, at least for now. Guilt for being unable to do anything or not having the courage to do anything concrete to make anything better for anyone. Guilt for agonizing over my own little problems when so much horror is being inflicted on so many people. Do you sometimes feel that way? I actually make myself sick with worry if I think someone might be upset with me, with something I've done. Here's an example of one of the petty things I recently agonized over, and it's so ridiculous. Just this Sunday, I visited a friend in the afternoon. I intended to stay for maybe two hours, having a little chat. I ended up staying until I think it was around 10 p.m., which was way longer than I intended. The next morning, I actually felt nauseous with guilt about staying so late. Oh my God, she she didn't have dinner. I monopolized her evening. Her husband isn't feeling well. 
Should I call her? No, 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 no. We aren't supposed to phone people anymore. Should I message her? Is a message too impersonal? What if I message her too early and she doesn't have notifications muted? Maybe she's sleeping in because I stayed too late. I waited until after 8 a.m. and messaged my apology. How insignificant is that? Yet I was physically sick with worry that she would be annoyed with me for overstaying. People are dying, Julie. Get a grip. The other thing I do is deny. Every time, I seem to be in denial that something bad will happen. When my mother was ill in the hospital, I firmly believed she would get better. But she didn't. Is there something wrong with me? Because I'll feel nauseous over something as insignificant as overstaying my welcome. The idea that that I've done something to make them angry with me. But death? I deny it. I don't cry. I harden myself. I busy myself with things I have to get done. I focus on work to take my mind off it. And I basically just block the sadness. Then I seem to turn my sadness inward. It gets twisted into stupid things like hating my reflection, hating my hair, hating my body, guilt, guilt for being so shallow. It's as though I punch down the sadness and turn it into something completely different, something insignificant, I guess. It's less painful to hate my hair than to remember that I'll never see my mother again. I think it's my way of distracting myself. My mind just replaces the sadness with kind of a self-loathing. And I think because that's easier than grieving. Plus, I didn't cause the death. So guilt over having hurt someone is a different feeling than my own sadness from a loss. When my 17-year-old cousin was critically injured in a car accident, I was certain he'd be fine. Of course he'll be fine. He had to be. He had everything. He's tall, handsome, fit, funny, smart, and so young. But he wasn't fine. Even as I heard the words that he had not made it, I felt like this can't be true. But it was true. The most horrific thing must be to lose a child. So many people right now are losing their children, their families, And for what? Hatred? Revenge? A thirst for power? World domination? I don't... I don't know. And we got news this week that Vivian Silver, a Canadian-Israeli central activist of an organization called Women Wage Peace, we got news that she was killed in the October 7th massacre. They thought originally that she had been kidnapped, but she had not been. Women Wage Peace is a nonpartisan grassroots organization which was founded in 2014 to enable to enable women to unite and take action to build trust to work together toward a unified demand for diplomatic negotiation to end the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I'll include a link to the website in case you're interested in more information. But this is just one example of so many people who have the courage to actively take action amidst the brutality of conflict. Here's this woman 
actively working for peace, killed for her efforts, while I work, live my easy life with my heat, hot shower, more food than I could ever need, making a podcast, submitting auditions, making a Christmas album. All frivolous pursuits. Vivian, of course, was just one human being of the thousands killed. Is it selfish for me to enjoy my happy life when all this is going on? Is it is it selfish to grieve the death of one person I love when so many other people are going through so much worse? I ask myself these questions. I recently heard someone say, though, and this made sense to me, that the argument that other people have it worse is foolish because a lot of people also have it better. Do we use that to minimize our own pleasure or happiness? No. All of us suffer in some way. That's life. We all feel guilt, sadness, regret, denial. And another one of my cousins passed away a couple of weeks ago. I knew he had cancer, but of course, I believed he would beat it. He had too, but he didn't. He's gone. Much too soon. He was only 50. He's only 10 years older than my eldest daughter. He was one of the little cousins. I feel a knot in the pit of my stomach, which is sadness, yes, but also guilt. Why him? I hadn't seen him in a few years. We're all busy. It's not as though he was longing to spend time with me, but still, I loved him. And we think we have time until we don't. So even though it might sound as though I'm a bit cold, I guess I just... We all have our own way of dealing with terrible things. I've never lost a child, thank God, and I don't know how people get through that. But so many people cannot protect their children. I listened to a Hidden Brain podcast episode recently. Yes, I will again and always recommend Hidden Brain. This episode was called Healing 2.0, Life After Loss. Highly recommend it. The host, Shankar Vedantam, interviews Lucy Hone, who is a leading authority on resilience. She lives in New Zealand and was helping people cope with the Christchurch earthquakes. I think that was 2010-2011, which resulted in multiple deaths, injuries, and so many aftershocks that carried on for over a year. It just must have seemed—the trauma must have seemed relentless to people. And then her 12-year-old daughter was killed in a car accident. She's a scientist who studies resilience, and at some point she was able to get emotionally to a point where she could study her own reaction to the worst grief imaginable and how to manage it and go on living. She says the universally accepted five stages of grief are not necessarily universal, nor is it helpful to expect that people will go through grief in any prescriptive way. There's a difference between your reaction to grief and your response, and your response is the thing that is within your control. So she decided to use resilience tools to adapt. I mean, the grief never goes away. You just, I guess you just find a way to live with it. And sometimes it ambushes you when you least expect it. So you just adapt your life around it. 
she chose where to focus her attention by asking herself, is this good or bad for me? One example she gave was all the what-ifs that went through her head. What if she hadn't let her daughter go with her friend? What if they hadn't planned that weekend away? You know, she allowed herself two what-ifs per day. After all, it's probably not a good idea to completely try to deny your very real feelings. But there's a difference between denying and dwelling on the sadness. When those thoughts invaded her head, as of course they would, she distracted herself with something positive. She called a friend, spent time with her two boys, focused on her work or something else she enjoyed. If she felt guilty for laughing, she accepted feeling guilty and then refocused on the thing that had made her laugh. It's true that we all go through terrible things, but our response is within our control. And we, we can't all be Vivian Silver. We can acknowledge the horror of the world and still allow ourselves happiness. We can live with gratitude. We can be kind, give ourselves the grace of forgiveness, listen to others' experiences, make an effort to connect with people. Because wallowing in guilt and what-ifs doesn't solve anything. We'd all like to know the right thing to say to someone who's grieving, but I don't think there is necessarily a right thing to say. Maybe all we can do is acknowledge it, tell them we're sorry they're going through something terrible, and find a small way to at least connect with them so they know they're not alone. Thank you for listening. If you have anything you'd like to share, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. I'll be back next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.